This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And my normal co-host, Americus Reed, is out today, so I'm very happy to welcome another colleague of mine, another marketing professor, Keith Niedermeyer. Hello, Barbara. I'm glad to be here today. So Keith is the director of the undergraduate marketing program here at Warden. He's been here for how many years? Oh, wow. I'm starting my 14th year. Yeah, 14 years. And he uh, teaches our core undergrad marketing course. So anybody who does any marketing at all at Wharton or at Penn has taken Keith. That's true. He's been here in the last 15 years. So he knows a lot about millennials, and he's going to talk to us about that. And then he's going to join me as a co-host for our other guests. So let me run down the other guests we have. Um, at 5 o'clock, we'll talk to Keith about millennials. But then at 5.30, we're going to talk to Robbie Kelman-Baxter. She's the founder of the Peninsula Strategies Company. She's going to be with us to talk um, about her new book, The Membership Economy. And then at 6, we have two people from MWWPR, and that's an insight company, customer insights company. And they're going to be talking about it. That's Tara Naughton and Michelle Gordon. And they're going to talk about this new demographic they've identified co- called Corp Sumers. So we'll find out who they are, why they are, what they buy, how they pay attention to brands, etc. And then at 6.30, we'll end with a colleague of ours from... Uh, Arizona State University, Adriana Samper. She's an assistant professor at the business school there at at Arizona State University. And she has some really interesting work on how aesthetics influence uh, consumption and product choice. But we're going to start right now with Keith. Hello, Keith. Hello Uh, hello again. (laughs) Okay, so what I thought we'd start with is you tell us a little bit about the kind of stuff you do here at Wharton because you really interact a lot with the students. So, Yeah, that's right. So... um, uh, my uh, One of my titles is Director of Undergraduate Marketing, and so w- the main uh, responsibility with that is that I teach the undergrad core class, meaning the required business fundamentals class that every uh, Wharton student has to take. So any anybody who's graduated from the Wharton uh, undergrad program in the last decade or so has had me in that class. <laughs> so, and you run into them on the street and stuff? Uh, a lot, all yeah. over the world. Yeah, I'll, so I'll be walking down the street and somebody says, Professor Niedermeyer. <laughs> so, but that's a great thing. So one of the things, you've been teaching it for a long time. It's our basic core course. Mm-hmm, so how right. has the course changed? Oh, dramatically. I mean, marketing has changed so dramatically. Um, uh, there's a much bigger emphasis on, on digital and digital economy. Um, in fact, some of the things that we're talking about later today with the membership economy and uh, corpsumers is something that we've integrated those types of ideas into the curriculum very recently. Um, the promotional uh, aspect of it has changed dramatically. I mean, when I started teaching the class um, as a professor, even before I was here at the Wharton School, I mean, there really was no such thing as internet advertising. And now that's about 47% of media spend now. So it's, uh, that's a big change. Yeah, that so so you started we're gonna talk about millennials. Now when did the millennials start coming to Wharton? Okay, so when you look at the way um it's defined in terms of the generation, that means coming of age uh, around the turn of the millennium. So that means just about nineteen ninety nine, two thousand is when millennials started reaching college. And I was actually uh, my first teaching job was at Penn State University in State College and that was my first year 
as a as a professor, and I came here uh, five years later. So I've been um, with the millennials uh, <laughs> from the day they started until now. You know, the leading edge Gen Z. Uh, the next generation is just starting to make our way, make their way into our classrooms as freshmen and sophomore now. And so I've seen the entirety of this generation move through, move through so university. How, how do they just, it sounds so arbitrary when you say it like that. <laughs> you know, how did they decide 2000 was the beginning of a new generation? Well, um, I think uh, when you look at five, five articles or five studies on, on generational differences, especially as it's related to uh, marketing activities, you'll get five different definitions of that. And I think the biggest, uh, the biggest influencer of how we might define that is really based around cohort effects, um, these shared experiences, these things that define the way generations look. So you could do it arbitrarily on 15 or 20-year blocks. Um, but when you look at people talk about baby boomers, Gen Zs, it's really those those shared experiences. Uh, and for millennials, it's really built around um, a couple of things, which is the tech, social media, information revolution, and then the the financial crisis, which really hit them um, in in kind of early adulthood. When you think about 2007, yeah, 2007, 2008, 2009. Do you think it also affected them like 2000, 9-11? You know, what was that? 2000, when was it 9-11? 2001. 2001. Yeah. So they're coming of age just when 9-11 right. happens. Yeah. And that was a critical event also. Abs- absolutely. So 9-11 is a big definer as well. So that's one of the things when you look at Gen Z's, people starting college now, um, no conscious recollection of that. Um, they were small children, essentially, when the financial crisis hit. So really no direct effect on their finances. Maybe their family finances, they may have some recollection of that. But generally, that's not a, a shared cohort effect that, that was really influential uh, on them. Okay, so like I remember when I was teaching these cohort things, we talked about World War II, like that was a critical event. The baby boomers was a big... And a lot of times they would talk about... It's it's not when they're born. It's when they come of age, which right. is what you said. Yeah. So they come of age at, at the mm-hmm. beginning of the century when a lot of things did happen. Right. And then they have a shared cohort effect on attitudes towards money, mm-hmm. attitudes towards sex, typically, attitude towards mu- uh, music. I mean, they tend to have a music that they listen to, like a body of music. And then um, now attitudes towards tech. Yeah. So do you know the um, difference between Gen Z? I mean, what will be the difference in Gen Z and millennials with tech? That's that's very interesting. Um, the music thing's interesting too because I think that's something that's changing quite a bit. That that technology um, has affected music and affected media consumption as well. Because your generation, my generation, I guess by strict definition, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, when you look at those different generations, there's kind of these shared cultural experiences of movies, television, music. But that's becoming less and less true because those industries right. are so much more yeah. fragmented. People, I, it would be hard to name one band or one movie or one television show that's just defining of our students right now where that was completely true when you yeah, and I were in school, really right? Int- like Friends or Seinfeld. They don't have a Friends or Seinfeld. They don't. They don't have those touchstones. Those, those were like the, 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 you know, the town squares of our generation, the same television shows, same movies. Uh, I could tell you 10 albums that everyone my age, I guarantee they have a, a, a vinyl or a CD in their in their home of that. That's absolutely not true, even electronically, of, of this generation. Wow, so what does that do? Does it make it like a more splintered media environment? or Definitely that fragmentation. And from, from a marketing perspective, that becomes a huge challenge because there's, there's not one band or one pop star or one... 
um, television show that just everyone connects with, where that might have been something like U2 in my generation, or certainly the Beatles or the Stones in a previous generation. They still like, like the Beatles and the Stones. Yeah. Right? I mean, so that, yeah. that is actually interesting. So then the events that really do shape their cohort become more important. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't music as it was before. Now, right. it is more like you were really, I mm-hmm. think, focusing a lot on the financial crisis. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, I mean, you mentioned tech as well. And I think that's a really interesting thing because you, I, I know you well, and you are extremely tech savvy. You like wearables. You use all the devices. You're the, in fact, in my life, you're probably one of the people who are the first, the innovators, to have those devices. Yeah, I do like them, which I love that about you. Um, but no matter how comfortable you and I are with those, no matter how we use them, we are not digital natives like they are. They grew up swiping and and on the internet that's where they have their 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 experience they're not in the library looking at books right and um and we will always be digital immigrants and they will always be digital natives and so i think they just integrate in a much uh, they they use um technology in a much more native fashion and and integrate with it in ways that i, I just don't think people in previous generations quite comprehend and I think that's that's really changing the way they consume music, the way they consume media, the way they react to marketing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I saw a recent study where they're trying to get students not to take notes on their laptops anymore yeah. because <laughs> if they write it down, they'll, it's, it, we know something different about psychology, right. how you bring things into your memory. Right. And the problem with doing it mm. on your phone or typing is it's automatic. Right. So you don't process it. That's absolutely true. Um, and it is interesting. You look at these people, they definitely, if I say, here, take down my number, I expect them to ask me for a pencil. <laughs> I mean, even though I know they're going to write it on their phone eventually. Right. So that's kind of what you're talking about. I still have that instinct, mm-hmm. which makes me an immigrant, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's, and, and I think, you know, moving into Gen Zs, that's, that's even uh, in, in hyperspeed to a whole nother level. I mean, they've never... Um, there's never been a world, you know, with Gen Zs that they can remember that didn't have iPhones, right? Yeah. Um, and social media and these different things. So. The other thing I saw, you know, they always put out these new, uh, some organization puts out what the new undergrads are going to remember or not remember. Right. So one of the yeah. things they were talking about with the Gen Z is that they never didn't know Amazon. Right. So, like, I don't know what the critical events, not as big a thing as the recession or mm-hmm. um, 9-11 for the millennials. But Gen Z... Amazon was always there. You know, Amazon Prime was always there. <laughs> it's like, uh, and that is a very different way of shopping. It's disrupting retail and stuff. So I, I guess a lot of the news is not quite settled about what Gen Z is going to do in terms of marketing. But mm-hmm. I imagine those are some of the events that might change it. Oh, I think so. So anyway, I think a lot of your focus on this is about the financial aspect, right? There is a big financial aspect to it. Um, when you look at, at the millennials, certainly they're the biggest generation that's, uh, you know, by – you know, by those definitions, we gave 92 million uh, as compared to 77 million for baby boomers and um, and 61 million for Gen X. So these the are the number of people in, within it, each generation. So generation yeah. millennials are bigger than the boomers. Yeah, Gen X was the tiny little one. Right, Wait, we were kind of one. the sandwich <laughs> yeah, generation. Right. I never um, thought they were too important. Yeah, we are. We are not at all. Um, but uh, yeah, 92 million. And I was just giving a talk to to a group about this, and I said, um, without really thinking, 
that, uh, yeah, baby boomers are 77 million and every day they're getting smaller. And the group who were baby boomers kind of chuckled uncomfortably. And I said, that's not what I meant. But then I realized that's precisely what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're dying passing off. away. Yeah, yeah. yeah so exactly. Not, not to make Very too much of it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great way to start off the, yeah. the chat. Um, but uh, the buying powers, you know, millennials, uh, it's, it's interesting because, you know, mirroring some of the things that are going on in our broader economy, um, there's kind of a bifurcation of their buying power. You know, we, we, there's a lot of talk about the debt. They graduate with mm-hmm. huge, huge debt, an average of about $22,000 uh, each by who, for college debt. Those who have college debt uh, averages around $22,000, which is a huge thing. Um, their their salaries in real dollars compared to those previous generations at the same age have, have less buying power. And so there's a lot of them that are facing – uh, you know, kind of economic strife. But on the other end of the continuum, um, millennials make up about 13% of high net worth households, um, huge percentage of what we call acronym, acronyms, marketers love acronyms, Henry's, high earners, not yet rich. How how did that happen? How uh, That sounds like a paradox that I can't reconcile. Well, I mean, it's just it's just instead of having kind of the uh, the big normal distribution with oh, a huge middle should. class, we, we start to see kind of a long tail of, of, of people who are struggling and then a, another mode of, of people who are doing really well. And then you see um, estimated a huge wealth transfer. So um, just uh, uh, Bank of America did a study just a, a while back that they published where about $40 trillion of assets are going are gonna to move from baby boomers uh, to their heirs who are largely millennials in the next 20 years. So there's a huge influx of of wealth um, coming through through inheritance, but as well as as entrepreneurial pursuits, um, and that's where a lot of uh, when you look at the thirteen percent of high net worth households that are um, millennials, that's where most of that's coming from. From inherited wealth. Inherited wealth, but also entrepreneurs. Right. Um, I was. That's yeah. what I was thinking. I think that idea that it's not a normal distribution and it's more of these polarizing mm-hmm. is interesting. So there's factors that made it because they came in the market in 2008, 2009, 2010. They never had the earning power, and so that and they right. had a lot of student debt. So that made them have less earning power than past generations. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, because of the wealth transference. And this entrepreneurial stuff, like they could start new businesses. The right. tech made it so that even the playing ground, yeah. they didn't, they could compete with huge companies mm-hmm. in a really easy way. So that's another thing that, and that's creating a very interesting trend as well in terms of their investment behavior, because the kind of the psychological impact of of the recession um, was that a lot of people graduated. Got jobs or or a few years into their first job, starting to stock that 401k, and then boom, that value's lost. Layoffs, lost their job. Um, you know, people going into the market, the market, the job market um, dried up, and so just you kind of had this this uh, touching the stove phenomenon where they were really burned with the economy. And what we initially started to see is then uh, millennial investors, especially, and millennial consumers became very very conservative. Um, most identified themselves as conservative investors, which is kind of backwards to what you expect. Because young people are risk takers. Exactly, exactly. But then as it started to play itself out, um, what you saw was that that the investors, millennial investors, were much less um, believing in the stock market, very conservative about stocks, about mm. in, about institutions, about traditional avenues, but much more accepting of entrepreneurial investment, um, venture capital, 
things like this. So people, which is inherently much more risky, right? Yeah, yeah. So investing in your own business or your friend's business or, or buying uh, investment property, even though they don't own their own homes, they're much more interested in investment <laughs> property. Those things are inherently more risky. So it's not that they're risk averse, but they're they're their risk tolerances have been shifted in very different directions, which, again, is co-influenced by the acceptance of technology and this entrepreneurial trend, but as well uh, driven by that uh, by the recession. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm talking to Keith Niedermeyer. He's a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and he's been teaching our undergraduate program forever, as far as I can tell, <laughs> or at least yeah. since 2000. Yeah. And so he's been very, he's very familiar with the millennials. If you're interested or have any questions about the millennials or want to know or or share your experiences as a millennial or as a marketer to millennials, call us. Give us a call. The phone lines are open at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So so then you also talked about their media strategy is all different. So how do they get marketing messages? I mean, I guess it's social media more. I mean, that's that's tough um, because... um, I mean, what you see is that as an audience, in terms of targeting them, much, much more fragmented. Um, they're getting their their media and their information from multiple different sources. Where, um, if you, I mean, if you're talking about previous generations or say a decade or so ago, um, television was the main place. That's where your mass media was, um, and now. People are spending their time fragmented across multiple devices, multiple platforms. So just targeting is a is a very big challenge. Um, and then one of the big issues also with millennials, which is a little bit unique to them, is the level of skepticism that they have. Um, and um, it's really it's really interesting. Um, a recent actual um, actually a, a Pew study came out showing their levels of trust in different institutions is incredibly lower than previous generations. Do you think that's a result of the recession or other things? I think a lot of it has to do with the recession. When you think about things like big business, like 6% of millennials have a great deal of trust uh, or or 12%, quite a lot of trust in big business at the bottom, just above Congress. <laughs> you know, so, um, <laughs> well, it, it, Trump is going to affect that. Reminds me, Generation I, yeah. Z. That's a shared experience. Trump, Amazon, and Trump. <laughs> yeah, I think that <laughs> those would be the two big ones. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think that's going to be true too. But interestingly, at the top of their trust list is small business. Um, uh, right near the top, 30% um, have a great deal of trust and, and an additional 38% have quite a lot of trust in small business. Um, when you ask them about do they generally trust in, just do, they, do you generally trust other people? Do you generally trust another person as an individual? Um, uh, same, same study showed that 40% of boomers ask, answer that question, yes. 31% of Gen X answer that yes 19% of millennials trust say other people generally have trust in other people but compare that to this um, compare that um, to this if you ask how many millennials use online reviews in their um, purchase decisions 93% say they do wow. and 97% of those 93 of that 93% trust those reviews so I, I always ask my audiences why that's such a weird paradox, right? But why do you think that is? You know, and the answer is. <laughs> well, I was going to ask what you thought, <laughs> yeah. but um, but yeah, I think I think what it what it is is that um, there's so many more sources of data that they're comfortable with, right? So reading online reviews, um, 
and and the wisdom of the crowds, right? So I just don't have to ask my neighbor or believe an advertisement anymore, right? I can go to to <laughs> hundreds of Yelp reviews for a restaurant, right? For Amazon, thousands of reviews. And even though they're fully aware, we have a discussion in my advertising class and my consumer behavior class every year about this. I'm like, do you are you aware that many of the reviews are fake, that, that these things might be planted, they might not be real? Of course. But after you sift through them, you see the, the summary data, all of these things. So it's really this this kind of combination of the anecdote, their own research data, um, multiple sources. So it's really kind of connecting the, the data and their experiences really together. So Matt from Maryland, hello. How are you guys? Okay. So you have a question for Keith? I do. Um, I was just wondering if you had an opinion on what degree – uh, marketing departments are changing from older to younger uh, based on um, how old and young people tend to view things differently and older uh, marketing departments could tend to overshoot trying to attribute things to millennials and trying to match up with how millennials view things. And I was wondering if there is a visible shift in data showing younger people being employed and older people being either put out or laid off? I mean, that's that's a very interesting question. I don't have data on the average age in marketing departments. Um, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting question. But the context of your question also in terms of of, of, of a lot of businesses' setbacks being blamed on millennials, that's, <laughs> that's definitely at the heart of uh, a lot of the things that we talk about with businesses and in, in our classes here. And in fact, I just showed Barbara before we went on the air a graphic that had been kind of floating around social media of all of the headlines of recent articles of things that millennials have ruined. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they're ruining the travel industry, they're ruining uh, the running industry, they're ruining the golf industry um, because their consumption patterns have changed. Um, so much. And you see, I mean, there was an article just uh, a few days ago that was on a lot of front pages about how Applebee's had made a huge shift to try to capture the millennial market, but it didn't work and they and they gave it up. And um, I think one of the, the huge issues that I've seen firsthand working with some companies is that it is difficult for for people who aren't in that generation to kind of get their head around what motivates them. It's not enough to put a hashtag in front of a, a tagline. It's, it's not enough to, um, you know, change your menu up to have to have avocado toast, something to, <laughs> that, that appeals to them. Um, I think that there's a certain authenticity um, uh, that is that is craved by this generation um, that's hard to fake. Um, and I think that's difficult to capture when you don't have uh, native, you know, native millennials, if you will. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, problem. I think that we have some more colors. So thank you, Matt, for that call. Let's talk to Sashin from Michigan. What were you thinking? Yeah, um, I'd like to thank you for bringing me on board. Um, one thing which I want to mention is since, I mean, you mentioned that um, millennials have distrust, and I strongly believe that, especially what happened in 2008 with the financial crisis and with Lehman Brothers collapsing and AIG almost going out and also the big three. And here, um, like I've worked for all the big three and I've seen the effect of not trusting the government. Um, and I strongly believe that we as the millennials were kind of not wanting to follow the path that our parents followed. 
I'm trying to follow a baby boomer generation, and we kind of want an anti that. And one question that I have is, what should we follow? Because we've seen <laughs> the 1980 strategy not working. We've seen also the Fed chairman's not being able to be trusted with their decisions and causing the financial crisis as we've seen. And I think that's what has followed us ever since 2008. So you're and looking for the answers fired. from Keith? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. <Yep>. Okay, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, I'm not quite sure I grasped the, the heart of your question in terms of what you, like, sh- what, what what you should, should follow. What we do as millennials and should we follow because we haven't really trusted much as far as the older generation and baby boomer generation and them making a correct financial decision for the future and for the economy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a really interesting question, and I think to me one of, one of the ways that my sessions and I do these sessions with companies a lot, you know, in terms of understanding millennials starts off is, uh, and, and I believe you you mentioned that you are a part of the millennial generation. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, I am. Um, it starts off with um, the crowd pretty ba- bashing millennials pretty hard <laughs> in terms of um, not being great employees and you know wanting everything now and basically every stereo. A stereotype that that you've heard, and then you know from the other side, it's 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 very much what what you're saying that 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 the baby boomers and the and the previous generations have created some of this this uh, uh, this situation where there's this lack of trust, uh, the the jobs economy has changed, uh, all these things have changed, and, and our buying power is less, and all of these things, but. Um, I think uh, where where you're seeing the trust start to go uh, is to each other. I think you see millennials kind of charting their own paths. When you look at the number of startups, technology, um, technology investments, um, people creating their own social platforms. When you look at almost every social yeah. media, these are things that have been created by the millennial generation. And when you look at what millennial millennials do trust, at least on paper in these surveys – is each other is data um, is you know looking at what are all these reviews what are people thinking what are the wisdoms of what are what is the wisdom of the crowd and I see I, I see millennials kind of turning to each other and and turning to creating these solutions and also relying on technology as a solution so Barbara mentioned that a, a lot of the context with which I, I chat about these things are in terms of investments and investment behavior and what you see overall, you know, an overarching trend is that millennials are very digital and very DIY in that area. So um, one of the industries that fears these changes a lot is is the wealth management um, um, market in, in terms of – Because they're going to do it themselves. Right. So you see – it's really right. interesting too because you see um, – Oh, you know the big companies are very afraid of Betterment, of Wealthfront, of these companies that are they're doing these algorithmically based investments. Um, yeah, so it's algorithm based, it's transparency based, it's right. you know it's a whole different ethic when you look at a lot of the millennial started companies. Oh, thank you, Sashin, for that question. We have one more question from Mallory at Ohio. Hello, Mallory. Hi, um, my name is actually Natalie. Oh, sorry. Hi. <laughs> Okay, so I just wanted to call in, and I kind of wanted to track back to what you guys were saying about online reviews and, you know, the the millennial trust factor. And, um, you know, I'm 24 years old, and, you know, I do a lot of research on the products that I'm going to buy 
uh, because I want to know exactly. And do you do it off of reviews? Is that where you get your information? Um, I'll do a lot of research through reading online reviews, yes. And so, you know, whether that's on Amazon or I'll go onto the manufacturer's website and see what people are saying there. Um, and then that's I'll exactly look at different, you know, industry blog articles and what they're saying about the product because, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're all just really starting out, whether it's starting out having a family, whether it's, you know, you're just entering the workforce. And I want to know that what I'm investing in, you know, whether it be something like a, um, oh gosh, I'll just think about, so whether I'm buying like a hair dryer or something, <laughs> and I want, you know, it's just on the top of my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know, I want to know that if I'm about to shell out a hundred bucks for a hair dryer, you know, that it's actually going to be worth a hundred bucks or does it do the same thing as its $35 competitor? That type of thing. So, so we're a little bit running out of time, Natalie. So let me just take you back on that. Because I, I, I think what you're saying and you're giving a great example is exactly what Keith was talking about. This notion that the millennials have an inherent lack of trust because the world's been upset on them. The promises they were made weren't kept. But then, like you were saying, you believe in reviews, you believe in digital information, you believe yeah. and you really collect all that information. It's available to you. Exactly. And so, and I, I also wanted to track back to, um, you know, I heard mentioned about, you know, I, I heard mentioned that there's, you know, ooh, the sponsored reviews, you know, that most mm. of those are, you know, sponsored. And I think, you know, especially since I do work in marketing and advertising, um, it's, it's at least really clear for me when I see something that is, um, you know, I can tell when something might be more sponsored. Mm. If you, if you can. Well, yeah, yeah, whether so, it's authentic or not, right? Exactly, because if you see something and it's just got, you know, all these. Yeah, what I look for is I look for people discussing the pros and the cons. Right. So you can weigh your I, own arguments. Yeah. Well, I thank you, Natalie. I'm going to let Keith talk about this and then we're <laughs> okay. going to. Yeah, I wouldn't want to pigeonhole you, but you are the exemplar of the way. Millennials go about shopping, and when you look at the things that influence their their decisions, value and price is number one. But it's that's mainly because they have the savvy and the ability to get all this information very quickly. And then recommendations are number two. And I think this go, what what she was saying also goes back to what will will discover a little bit with some of the guests that are coming up later in terms of consumers and membership economy, that it goes well beyond that and information needs to be gathered well beyond that and, and that the decision-making is, is multifaceted. And it, it's a cliche at this point, but it's much more of a journey than just capturing that one sale and, 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 and closing that one sale one time. But, but your, your, your brand, um, the decision-making points, all have to have this consistency across all these points, and it's never been more important than with this generation. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, thank you, Keith, and you're going to stay here, and we'll talk to these next guests. So up next, we have Robbie Kelman-Baxter, who's going to be discussing this membership economy, something a term she's d- defined, and she'll tell us what she means by it. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.